Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Transformation Gold Podcast. I'm your hostess, Nicole DeVincentis, a.k.a. Figachick911. Awesome, as always, to have you with us. For those of you who are new, welcome to you. The goal of this podcast, as we come alongside you to assist you in championing your goals, the goal with this podcast is to actually teach you and coach you on some of the tactics and strategies on how to shorten that time period between what we call idea inception and execution. So in between when you're like, aha, this is something I want to do, or this is something I want to have, this is a goal I want to go after, and okay, I'm up and I'm already in action taking steps towards it, okay? So that's the key to success in any area is to minimize that time in between when you think about doing something and when you actually move into action. You want to be idea inception, I'm in action. Okay, and today we're going to be talking about something that has a little bit more to do with uh, operations, and this applies to both your personal and professional life. And we're talking about this has to do with conflict resolution. This is going to be something that's going to help you facilitate positive and forward moving teams. This is going to help you in your interpersonal relationships, and it's going to save you boatloads of time and energy and stress. And it's a tactic or a strategy, if you would, it's actually a mode of operation, which is called go directly to the source. Now, I know that you've probably heard this before, okay? Go directly to the source. So how many times have you, let me ask you a question here, how many times have you ever been in a situation where there was something that you heard which was actually hearsay? and you started, this is, how, this is how the brain works, this is how human nature is, so if this applies to you, it's not that you're a bad person, this is, we're meaning-making machines, and based on what you hear, or based on, this happens to me all the time, is oftentimes when I'm in deep modes of thought, like my resting bitch face comes out strong, and people think that I'm mad all the time, it happens to me all the time when I'm at the gym, I'm not soft and interactive, like I'm, I'm in a different galaxy, but there's people who make assumptions about my character or about how I look on my face that I'm mad or something because that's what it seemed like. Or if you've ever heard things about people or heard things like a part of the story is to an action that one person did, but you didn't have the full entire story and you made essentially what is a snap judgment and you created like this whole, you know, case, you know, how this person did you or your, your business or your family wrong. And this, this must've been their motive and blah, 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 blah. And then sometimes what happens is you learn the other side of the story and you're like, whoa, right? And that can crush you. That can crush any relationship if that is your mode of operation where you're making what are essentially assumptions and ultimately judgments about either other people's motives or, you know, why they're doing what they're doing or just things that are based on falsities. Okay, so at the end of the day, here's the coaching concept. It's go directly to the source. Now, for me, in this podcast, I'm going to be, for those of you who don't know me, let me just get this out of the way real quick. I do come from a healthcare industry, 
all right? And I say this on purpose because not so much that, you know, I'm really impressed by it anymore, but this honest to God has really groomed me into the woman that I am today and why I operate my business in the capacity that I do and how I'm able to multitask so many things. I actually come from emergency medical background where you're in charge of a lot of different things and you're making very, very high level decisions about life and death. So for me, when I'm coaching you, I think the the cushion factor to it, like I know I'm very clear and very like to the point on a lot of things on which I coach, but the one thing that I think is gonna help you to understand about my coaching style and you know everything that we do within our academy here is that at the root it's honest to god based on love it's always looking for the best interest of the other person and what nurses do is we are very 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 strong advocates for people who are not able to advocate for advocate for themselves and sometimes people think, oh, that's just like, you know, the, the very, very young or the very, very old or people who have some sort of like mental um, incompetence or, um, you know, they have developmental delay or something like that. And that's not what it is only. Being on the lookout for the best interest of the other person and advocating for people who cannot advocate for themselves, that also falls underneath the, the tenant of what's ultimately ignorance. When people don't even know what they don't know, on, that's our job. We have a large educational role on how to get in front of people's space when they're all like majorly, majorly, majorly stressed out. I mean, think about this. When people are in an emergency room or if you are one of our patients on the helicopter, like it typically is one of the worst days of your entire life. Or if you were the family member, like it's one of the worst days of your entire life. And our job is to be with you in that moment and get you on board with what it is that we're doing, extract a ton of information in a very short period of time, some of which is verbal, a lot of which is nonverbal, and the rest of it is like exploratory. Like we're, we're looking at, you know, blood tests and physical exam and basing it on, you know, the story that we're hearing from you, what led up to this particular thing, or what does the, you know, the pre-hospital providers tell us about what they found on a scene. And so we're processing a high amount of information in a very short period of time. And we're doing that while we're taking the action steps. And so when you coach with me, I think you're going to find, I don't think I know, you're going to find that oftentimes I do what's called a sidestep. When we get to a certain point, I do what's called the sidestep because there's another piece of information that I require in order for us to be able to move forward. And it seems very random at first, but that's actually the emergency nurse process. (laughs) Somebody asked me a question about that. Like, Nick, it seems like you bounce around. It's not so much bouncing as it is an intentional step oh, this is what I heard, I need to find out about this so that I can put these two things together and now we have like a complete story or facts or here's the next the next place where we have to go. And that's, that's how I run my coaching business. So when you coach with me, the cool thing is this, we move fast, you get results because I am very, very, very action oriented and I am a results now type of woman. 
On the flip side to that, part of the coaching process is having that same humility that you have when you go into an emergency setting and you are like bombarded with questions that <laughs> that are so direct like you're like oh my gosh like I feel like I'm under interrogation at the end of the day I'm telling you just receive this message and then I'll explain it is we don't care what brought you here honest to god if you're in the emergency room we honestly, and I'm gonna use a swear word here just to get my point across, we don't give a shit if you did drugs. And what I mean by that is we're there to get information. So if you come in complaining of chest pain and clearly we're looking at you, we can tell what you're on. So it's not, are you using drugs? The skilled ER nurse is gonna ask you, when was the last time you used? And when it's people's like first go around in the emergency room, they're like, what, what I don't. And like, listen, dude, I'm gonna find it anyway. So you might as well save us the three hours of time, a shit ton of lab results, blood tests, and like, you know, $3,000 worth of expenses. Just tell me what you did and when the last time it was that you used, okay? That's all I wanna know. You know, the people who have been through us before, they're like, yeah, this is what I did. You know what I'm saying? So it's that humility and that willingness to be honest in order for us to be able to help you. And that's the same, that's the same coaching methodology that I use in my enterprise. And I have to tell you, and we're going to get into directly going to the source, this, this ties into it, is that you... As a coach, okay, our job is not to blow sunshine up your ass and yay, you're like the best in the world, yay. <laughs> no, the job of a skilled coach, all right, yeah, we're going to be your biggest fan when you put the effort in, but how, this is so weird how this has happened, how my business has shaped and how people come to me is... It's, I usually deal with very, very strong-willed individuals, very strong-willed individuals, and they're very high producers in a lot of different areas. The problem is that when it comes to some of their own self, self points, is they're not willing to expose them. And the job of a coach is to help you see your blind spots on purpose because usually the things that are in your blind spots or the things that you are unwilling to bring out into the light are the very things that are keeping you held back. They're keeping you from achieving success in any area, whether this is health and fitness, this is your finances, this has to do with your relationships, this has to do with how you're moving through your career, whatever this is your relationship with God even, and that's our job. And I'm telling you, it can be a rough go as a coach because oftentimes we, we piss you off. But as I've learned through my own business travels, my business coaches, like, they're brutal, man. They're, they're brutal. Like, it's literally black and white. And you leave a coaching session just like, oh my God, I suck. Holy shit. Oh my God. I did. Oh my God. I suck. I, I should just like close the doors of operation right now because I'm so bad. 
and it's it's like that's the job of the coach is to actually they can sense pride and ego when it's getting in the way and true growth always comes not it, it does not come it comes from a place of humility not from a place of pride and ego so if you're new on this podcast just be advised all right that a coach in this case it's me I always have your best interest at heart and oftentimes what we have to do is what we call call attention to the elephant in the room okay because here's what I promise you as you groom and develop yourself you have exponential growth and development in your professional world and it's beautiful but oftentimes we have to uncover some shit in order for us to actually be able to make those moves Okay, now what precipitates this? This podcast, I was, (laughs) somebody had mentioned to me the other day, you're intimidating. (laughs) And it wasn't because they even heard me speaking. It was because of, um, it was because of what they see my physique as. I'm kind of muscular. Uh, I have, I think it's a very feminine shape, but I do carry a significant amount of conditioned muscle on my frame. And I have really great posture, like physical posture, which ultimately translates out into the posture that you you have when you enter a room and when you're commanding your space in a room. But you're intimidating. And well, tell me about that. Well, you are you're like this, and and you 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 have all this confidence, and you just must you know you're just like full of yourself, and well, you love yourself, and like this person had just all these things to say about their perception of me but never came directly to the source as what was I thinking when they when they made this snap assumption about me at this moment in time they saw me when I was in the middle of a workout basically trying not to die like if you've ever trained with me I train like an animal I I just I, I love to train I love it and God made me super strong and so what can I tell you like (laughs) I think it's pretty shocking because (laughs) oftentimes you know I I have I wear nail polish and I wear lipstick you know and I don't always look super cute but I I look feminine and then all of a sudden I get into the training room and I load up all these different weights and I lift heavier than most guys do and that's what like holy shit like and then they form all these snap judgments about you know my sexual orientation and like the story goes on and on and on and on and on and then when I actually sit down with somebody they always tell me I had no idea I had no idea that you know perhaps this was your past and that you had to work to get where you are today I had I would have never known that it just seemed like you have all your stuff together that you had like a nice you had a nice you know walk up the stairs to get where you are oh my god or I had no idea that holy crap you mean to tell me you've been up since three o'clock in the morning and you train you know x number of days a week or you meal prep all the time or like any of the backstory and so my my words of recommendation and the coaching concept for today is go directly to the source Okay, rather than listening to hearsay. And this, this also 
for me, was taught very early on while I was a nurse. There's so much overlap. This is, it's so cool. I had gone to a, a trauma symposium uh, for continuing education. I still hold all of my licenses from working as a nurse, even though I don't practice uh, clinically in that capacity any longer. And there was people there from all like the different dimensions of my, my working for you know, the better part of 20 years there. And it's really, it's gotten me to, to think retrospectively about how, I guess how far you can, how far you, go, you have come, but what has molded me into the coach that I am today and where are my strengths and where did I, where did I learn my lessons from? How come these things are so sharply ingrained in me? Where in the heck, I wasn't born this way. Like this is totally like the case of nature versus nurture. Where did this come from? And one of the things go directly to the source comes from my very, very early days the, the hospital I spent most of my time at, for those of you who don't know, it was a place, uh, it's in Illinois, it's called uh, Loyola Medical Center, and um, it's a Jesuit-based uh, organization. So I went to Loyola as an undergrad and then uh, got hired on at the medical center following. So I've had, you know, Jesuits are known for education, but they also have, obviously, that spiritual backing to them, that faith backing to them, and it, it really it makes a huge difference in how an organization runs and the quality of the character of the individuals in it as opposed to places who have zero faith backing. And for me, one of the things that I learned was that I don't flourish in the places where there is no faith backing behind it because the, the business operations and the day-to-day -day operations, they're not in line with my moral compass. And it, it may not always, for me, I believe morals and values over money. That's, and it's not always profitable in the short term, but in the long term, it ends up taking you to better places. That's my opinion. Okay, so in this place, um, getting back to like, how, where did this go directly to the source? There was our chief of staff, Dr. Vertuno, and Dr. Vertuno was known. So he would like, train residents and, and the, you know, the doctors who were coming up and you have what we call rounds and you'd be basically standing outside the patient's room talking about their case before, if you've ever been in a teaching hospital before, before the 10 people come in and start talking about you in front of you. <laughs> it's very weird. But that's how we groom, you know, doctors coming up. And whenever we'd be in the hallway and there was a question, Dr. Vertuno would always say, go directly to the patient. When in doubt, go see the patient. And that has, that has become my practice. When in doubt, go see the patient. And that's the same exact methodology that we use with inside of your coaching that when there's a doubt, when there's a question, instead of making what we call snap decisions or ultimately judgments about what's going on, you must go directly to that person and find out what exactly is going on. You need the other side of the story. Always, always. Okay, so let me repeat that. When there's something going on 
that is causing conflict, okay? And you're in that position to resolve the conflict. This is your organization, this is your family, this is your relationship. Go directly to the person rather than making snap judgments and decisions based on what essentially is hearsay or gossip or, you know, third party person. And what I came to learn was from my advanced coaches here is that it's totally based on biblical principle. So when you're doing conflict resolution, you're supposed to be doing it one on one with one, with that with the involved person. That's how you do it. And then obviously safety considerations in place here. What I came to learn is that when I was working at a non-faith-based organization, which I worked, was I there eight? I don't think it was 10 years. I think it was like eight years. I did not trust any of the individuals that I worked with. There was very, very seedy business operations there. And so I never was one-on-one with person. I always had a third party neutral person in the room with me during times of high conflict and high pressure. And I refuse, refuse to live my life like that. Refuse. That's not the environment that I want to create inside of my academy. That's not the environment I want to create with inside of my family. But that's the tendency of like, that's where what I've seen a lot of culture is moved over to that place. Like you need to have a third party. And so when you're, when you're first growing and when you're first stepping out into your job, into a professional space, into the world, you have to have a keen sense of where, what is the place where I'm at? You know, what's, what's the, the character qualities and the values of the places where I'm at? Are they aligned with mine, right? Are they aligned with, you know, the moral compass that I have set here? But then also is the other aspect of it. You've got to cover your ass and make sure that you know, okay, if I'm in these other spaces, I can't just go directly to a person because now it's just one-on-one hearsay with the person. We have to have third-party objective person inside of there as well. Does this make sense? And so you take, this is, you, you have to learn. As you're moving up your ranks, the biggest piece of advice that I can tell you is to be essentially one of the quietest people in the room because you're actively listening. You always want to be listening. When you learn how to read people's body language and when you listen, when you're an active listener and you start to pick up tells in how they're talking as to whether or not they're telling you the truth, This is going to help you markedly. And I'm bringing this up simply because today people do not listen. Just like right now. Can I have your attention for a quick second? Hi, you're back. Okay. Most likely you've drifted off. Okay. People's attention span today is like shorter than that of a flea. And so you're never going to be able to make strong movement with your team, with your family, if you don't have attention from the people who you're leading and it always starts with you how closely are you paying attention leadership is such a a huge 
pro—it's like a project. And in order for you to be in alignment with the mission and the vision of your organization, of the goals that you have set out, or whatever, leadership always starts at the top. And in order for you to be in alignment with that, you have to hold yourself to a super high standard of what is acceptable and what do you expect from the people that you're responsible for. And if you are, the here comes like, here comes the humility aspect of the coaching here, is if you are not what we call an active listener, and you're not forcefully keeping yourself present in the moment, you can't expect that your people are going to do that either. Does that make sense? People do what they see. And if they have a leader who is not demonstrating active listening skills, who makes snap judgments based on hearsay, you can't expect that the people that you're responsible for are going to perform at a higher level than you and stay. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Okay, if you've listened to one of our previous podcasts, it was called Know Your Players. And it talks just briefly is that there's when you have a team, unless you are operating a very, very high performance team and there was a lot of let's say tryout or audition or interview or there was like thoughtful selection in having the best people on your team okay but there's always basically three types of of players there's your a players your b players and your c players and the a players are your super performers the b players are in the middle and the c players are do the bare minimum When you surround the B players with the A players, they perform like A players. When you surround the B players with C players, they perform like C players. So as the leader, it's important for you to first and foremost recognize which of those you are personally so that you can grow, all right? You're always gonna be the lid. You're always gonna be the lid on your leadership. It's rule number one from the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership from the great John Maxwell. All right, so it's knowing where you are, it's triaging your own position, but then also, who do I have on my team? So as you're grooming the team, you have to know who's on there because that's going to largely determine, you know, how far you're able to go. If you are a, this sounds so crazy, but this is so true. If you're a C player and you are in an appointed position, I'm not going to call you a leader. I'm going to call you being in an appointed position where you are in charge of an entire department or something. And either you were, you know, passed up the ranks, given privilege for whatever reason. And if that's you, you're probably not at this people. You're probably not even on the podcast, these people. But you've seen this before, okay? A C person is never going to be able to contain an A player. The A player is not going to stay. There's just no way in hell. When you have a team, you want to be recruiting the best people. Okay? 
the best people who will outperform and outproduce you, but you have to have the leadership skills in order to be able to lead a team of high performers. So while the people may have bigger skill sets than you, you still have to be the leader that they're looking for. You still have to be the one who clears the field and puts up a structure so that these people can be high performance, if that analogy makes sense to you. But if you are honest to God, like a slump leader, the A players will never stay. They're going to outproduce. They're going to probably be recruited by other people or there's going to be a fundamental breakdown in the operation of your team, of your project, of your mission or whatever. And they're going <laughs> to they're going to give you the hi ho bye Felicia and they're going to freaking bounce. That's how it is. I don't care how bad the economy is. The A player will bounce and they will find their way in some other area. And sometimes we'll even be willing to take, oftentimes be willing to take a pay cut because they see opportunity in a different place and they're able to produce and perform and they know that when you produce at high levels, money is attracted to that. Money always follows. I've never in my entire life ever, ever met an A player, <clears throat> excuse me, who did not at one point or another receive financial compensation for their levels of productivity. And that includes operating in healthcare space. It may not come in the short term, but you better believe like the law of like cumulative and compounding effect, you're going to reap the rewards in the long run. Okay, so you as a leader, you have got to be acutely aware of who is actually on your team. Okay, that applies to their work ethic, that applies to their value system. You've got to be aware and you've got to do the internal work to make sure that the people on your team, good God, like I hope that they're not like their character isn't better than yours. Like you want to be sure that you are in right space. You always want to have resources for your people. The cool thing about today is that we're in this information age, right? So there's like all these podcasts and there's like the personal development is actually coming to the forefront and you have a lot of younger people who really like the messages which are being delivered in personal development. And these kids, I'm going to call them kids. Everybody, I'm going to talk about the millennials real quick. Like everybody slams the millennials and you know, they have slack ass work ethic and they're lazy and they're entitled and all this stuff. Guess what? They were built that way. But when you really go directly to the source and you're dealing with a millennial who probably was raised by a single mom, right? You look at like what the, the rates of divorce and where we have these millennials, a lot of them were raised by single moms. A lot of these kids have a very clearly defined moral compass. They know the difference between right and wrong. It's simply that, this is my personal opinion, when you don't have that presence of a strong male figure, 
it's very easy to get swayed and either take a different path because you feel bad for people or you're just very, very impressionable. Part of like that male figure gives you that strength backing to put your foot in the sand and yes, I'm doing this or no, I'm not doing that. So we see these kids like they're only the product of their environment. You know, they're the product of helicopter moms who have basically not weaned these kids off the nipple and they're like 25 years old and they have no life skills. That's not their fault. But when you get up and close with them, they're no different than any other person. They're still A players within the millennial group and they want to improve. They're highly influenced by what they see on TV, what they see on social media, and they want to know, how do I get from here to there? What they don't understand is the work component to it. And so you can sit there and yeah, they do dumb shit. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, seriously, kid, like you, you pull up your damn pants for God's sakes. <laughs> dress like you give a shit. They have no concept of what it means to dress like a professional and show up in an interview. That's what we call ignorance. So as you're grooming through your people there, you've got to get up close. You know, leadership, you can command masses, but ultimately, like, if you're wanting to groom people or you're developing people or they're in your organization, they're in your family, you also have to be able to dial in one-on-one. -on -one. And right, where are these people? Where is their thought process? They think that if you wake up and you just, you know, show up at a place or you take pictures, all of a sudden you're going to have fame and fortune. Well, they've never had to put any work in in order to be able to support themselves. So the work component their moms have been doing their homework half the time, their science projects, like all these things. They've never had to work. So they tend to be softer. But once they get in and they get that invigoration of what it really is to work, they're like everybody else. They're like, oh my God, this was so hard. <laughs> but this is great. And they want to do more. Like they keep on coming back for more. Those are the people. They're highly coachable. They're highly motivated. But if you were to make a snap decision, a snap judgment and say those freaking millennials, I mean, how terrible is that? Go directly to the source. If you've got a group of millennials in your organization, on your team, in your family or whatever, You've got to know your players. Where are they? Where do they need course correction? Or if it's you, where do you need course correction? Is it in my financial realm? Is it in my relationship skills? Is it in my communication skills? Am I advanced to a point now where I've been seeing all this success stuff, all this personal development, and now I need to go to the next level? What's the next level? The next level is spiritual development. That's why I bring it into these podcasts. I've got people who are from all different walks of life. They're on all different places of the continuum, the spectrum of personal development. And a lot of people have, you know, let's say I'm working with entrepreneurs, which is what I've been doing as of late. And it's awesome. I love it. They think just as crazy as I do, like all these different things that you have to handle and, and you know, pre-plan for and, 
you know, budget for and, you know, make sure, oh my gosh, now this is wrong. And oh my God, now this is happening. Like you're always, you're always putting out fires like every single second of the day. But a lot of those individuals are very high producers, high performers, but where they're lacking is the next level of development for them. They're, they, everybody, even high, even A players have things that, you know, tarnish them in their life. Things that broke their heart, things that changed them forever. Method of operation that served them well, you know, 10 years ago, which no longer is going to not just work, but it's not going to allow them to grow their enterprise. Same thing when you're in an appointed position at a job. You're going to reach a, a place where if you have character corruption, your moral compass is not set right, you're not going to be able to lead that organization through uncertain economic times or when massive conflict actually comes up. You are not going to have that strong backbone. You know, a lot of the things we talk about like business ethics or just, you know, ethics in general and, and modes of operation, a lot of them are actually based on biblical principle, believe it or not. And it wasn't until I learned more about what the true teachings in the Bible was. And I was like, wow, wow, this holy crap. Yes, this is, this is exactly business ethics. Oh my gosh, it's based on biblical principle. So the more I get into this, the more I realize how for me and the, how I've built out my organization is that the backbone of it is actually biblical principle. Like there is clear demarcation between right and wrong and everything is rooted in love. And yes, we love one another and yes, we forgive one another, but we have to do, we're humans and we're flawed and you have got to do before you can even get into course correction. You have got to have that humility of yourself in order to be willing to expose what essentially are your vulnerabilities as a person. Maybe not to the organization, but you've got to do some, some what we call heart work in order to be able to progress to the next level. Because the people who are coming up behind you, who are wanting to grow and improve themselves, they're faster, they're way smarter, they're way more educated. And you have to be able to take them to the next place. But if your character is corrupt, it's never going to happen. You're going to be the lid. And that sort of the thing that I'm finding so refreshing nowadays is that old school mentality, which I, I don't know any other word to call it than it being a boys club. I'm so, I'm so refreshed that that mentality is going away, that there is business ethics which are being put into place. And that you can call it karma, you can call it whatever you want, that the cancers in the organizations are being more or less exposed. I mean, social media has definitely done this. And here, I'm going to give you an example. There was this guy um, when I was working. I'm going, to, I'm going to contrast the difference between now and then. I was working, I was in charge of a, a neurosurgical program. Like long before there was like stroke care, what we do today inside like 
people's blood vessels and taking care of strokes, both ischemic, but then, you know, bleeding strokes from aneurysms inside of your head, rather than sending people to the operating room and, you know, cutting open their skull and then, you know, surgically removing and, and putting like these little clips on aneurysms so that they don't bleed out and, and kill the person. We were doing angiograms of people's brains. So this was, this is probably like the year 2000. Yeah, it was like the year 2000. And I initially, when I got hired on, I was invited into this role. I had another nurse with whom I was working, but then she shortly left. Um, and so it was me in charge of this program. And the program was picking up uh, both patient load and, well, I'll just leave it at that, and acuity. The patients were also getting sicker. So at the end of the day, I had responsibilities where I was in charge of scheduling different cases for these patients to come in we did what was called diagnostic angiograms so we you know would squirt dye up into these people's you know brains like how you do angiograms of the heart there were angiograms of the head and so we were looking for malformations of of the brain we're looking for aneurysms we're looking for narrowings in different you know blood vessels of the brain totally humbling like my first day on the job I thought I was like all this because I knew what the cranial nerves were and like the different like lobes of the brain and then you know we put this angiogram up there and I realized that all those blood vessels actually had names and <laughs> I was like I mean it looks like a giant spider web and I was like I got a lot of learning to do <laughs> No wonder the neurosurgery residents are so crabby, like just getting to know the names of these blood vessels is a full-time job in and of itself. And uh, so we did that, but then we also did cases where we were repairing these things. And sometimes those cases, they could take anywhere from four to six hours, sometimes eight hours. And then my job was to also go and round on our patients who had had our procedures and I was doing different ultrasounds of their brain of the velocity of blood which was traveling through these blood vessels and we used it as a predictor for them entering <clears throat> um, something called vasospasm um, basically what it means is that the blood vessels they start to kind of like spasm out after somebody has a bleeding stroke in their brain and this ultrasound would actually track and see how fast blood was moving through the blood vessel kind of like if you put your finger on the front of a hose and it makes the the water come out under greater pressure that's what would actually happen inside of the brain before people would then actually have stroke symptoms from lack of blood flow following these hemorrhagic strokes and so you'd go and you do this so if i had 10 patients after these six or eight hour cases, I'd be doing these ultrasounds, and then we had these other imaging things. They were called <laughs> these xenon CT scans, and we don't do those anymore. But anyway, so needless to say, like I was busy, and the, the job also required being on call, and it was supposed to be 50% of, of the month. And so the person that I am, I made sure that I was on call 51% of the month. It's my program. I want to know what's going on with my patients. And, you know, I had a very strong working relationship with the physician um, who was, you know, led our team. And, you know, I should be there more than half of the month. That's how it was. Well, 
we got super super busy this was like in the springtime and i don't know if it's like barometric pressure changes which caused you know everybody's aneurysms inside of their heads to explode but we had like all these cases and at the end of the day it was like i was working close to 80 hours a week and my workouts fell out and i was on call so i and i lived close to an hour away so for to spend that much time in you know traffic going back and forth and i wasn't eating because we were in these cases and you're it's like being in the operating room so you're not eating i lost a lot of weight and you know after the doctors would go home then i'd have these other tests to do and one day one of the neurosurgical residents said to me gosh you're here almost as often as we are and for me that was like the anvil on the head like this wait you're right but this was one of the reasons why i didn't go to medical school and yet here i am in the nursing capacity and i'm working as much as these people are and so it was even that early where I knew that I could not allow myself to continue on for me having a job like that where I was stuck. Like I, there was, there was, I was never going to finish this work. Like, and there was no, there was no light at the end of the tunnel that there was ever anybody who was going to come and help me because I was getting the work done. Okay, so why hire somebody else on if the work is being done, right? So I, I mean, I understand like, you know, their thought process behind this. But anyway, there was one day I was expecting, I think it was like a $3,000 paycheck, which may or may not be a lot of money to some of you. But at that time in the year 2000, from a nursing capacity at, at what the wages were, that was actually a significant paycheck for a two-week period a three thousand dollar paycheck was a lot and why was it that high was well i was on call and i came back on call almost all the time and i was working all these extra hours so i submitted my paycheck and everything it was time cards which were done by hand so i submitted it in and i think the paycheck was going to be I can't remember, I remember it was $3,000, but I can't remember what the, the, the rest of the change was. So let's just say it was $3,400 was supposed to be the paycheck. I don't remember what the $100 mark was. And what the paycheck ultimately came back to be was $400. Does that make sense? So if I was expecting, let's say $3,400, it only came out to be $400, right? Minus the three, the $3,000 was missing. So I went to, now I did not have a direct report for nursing. I reported to what we call the director of the service line. He was in charge of, he was not a physician. He was an administrator who was in charge of the department of neurosurgery. And he had zero healthcare background, which is the case in most healthcare organizations where a lot of people in administrative positions the, they're business people, but they have zero healthcare background. And that was this guy. So I went to him and I, I thought it was an honest mistake. Like where's you're missing the three. You know? So I went in there and it was, you know, early in the morning, it's like quarter to seven in the morning. We had a, a day full of cases and I brought this to his attention and 
he, I remember he was sitting at his, and he was a little guy. He was like this little skinny guy. He kind of looked like Mr. Magoo, if you know who that is, just like this little guy. And he was sitting at his desk, which was way bigger than him, eating this little bowl of oatmeal. And he had these little raisins on the top. I kind of always felt bad for this guy because he was like just so little. But I went in there and pointed this out to him and he laughed and he goes, well, I hope that you're going to be able to pay your month, your rent this month, Nicole. <laughs> and you know, I laughed at the, at the second because obviously there was a big mistake and that's why, you know, I know people and I, I know how to read their tells and I know when they're nervous and I know when they're like, holy shit, I fucked up. Okay. But you know, let's, our next step is to make this right. And he didn't say anything afterwards. And I was standing there in his office and I just looked at him and I said, okay, when is the new check going to be cut? I mean, because honestly the rent is going to be due and $400 is not going to pay the rent. And he goes, well, as he's eating his oatmeal, he goes, what did I say? I think maybe I asked him why the mistake was made. Knowing me, I mean, this was so long ago, knowing me, (laughs) I got to get to the source of everything. Like, I think that was, this is probably, yeah, this is probably what happened now that I'm thinking about it. It was my fault that I, 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 I poked the bear because I asked why the mistake was made. But here's what happened is that he admitted it. He said, oh, I figured there's no way that you could have worked that much. And he continued eating his breakfast. And it, I'm telling you, it was like, dude, probably if I had the energy right now, I'm so flipping tired. I would, you know, I can't do anything about this right now. But inside, I wanted to jump across the desk and freaking strangle him because he was so nonchalant about it. Like, there's no way you could have worked that much. So not only was I not compensated justly for the time put in, but now we also had another factor in play is that he's questioning my character, which is ultimately what it was. It wasn't Nicole is at this place from six o'clock in the morning until sometimes nine o'clock at night, seven days a week, or she's home and then she's coming in at one o'clock in the morning and staying until the morning time and working a full day. This dude questioned my character and that for me was a bigger insult than not receiving the financial compensation for work which I had actually done. And I knew at that time, I will never do business with an individual who has character corruption like this and is so nonchalant about it and can sit there and continue to eat his breakfast and not make eye contact with me. The point of the matter is that he did not go directly to the source. What he did was he based my paycheck and my character on what other people had done before me or probably what he knows himself to do. Because had he been in right character standing, he would have either called me, I'm in the freaking hospital all damn day, he could have just walked his ass downstairs to come and find me directly and say, or call me into his office and ask me point blank, are you lying? How could you have worked this many hours? You're going to be getting a three, a 34, like what our $3,400 paycheck Nobody ever has, has submitted these hours before. We need to see where you are because there was, there was nobody who was supervising me. There was no nursing. But if you had gone around and 
looked at our, our records to see where the cases were. Oh, she came back on this night. Oh, she stayed until, oh, here she's got, because we document everything that we do. So there's paper trails all over the place. There's paper trails with dates. There's paper trails with time. She's here. She's here. She's here. You want to know? Here, this is what we did on this one. I'll tell you about all my patients. I'll tell you about all the tests that, like, never went to the source. Made a snap judgment. And it turned out that it affected me largely. And the worst part about it is that he wouldn't budge. He was not willing to cut a check. He was not willing to do any further discussion on where my time was. This was my check and I was supposed to just take it up the ass and move forward. What I'm saying is that that's old school mentality. You're lucky that you have a job. We're, this is, this is a non, we're not talking about this anymore. You have to freaking be kidding me. This is not right. Well, what happened was one of the neurosurgeons caught word of this. And it wasn't the doctor that I had worked for. It was a doctor for whom I took care of his patients. And um, he was not necessarily known to be um, politically correct or let's even say socially inept. He was awesome, awesome, awesome doctor, but he, he's like a perfectionist. And if I, if I got somebody inside my brain cutting around, I want a perfectionist too. And he had a volatile temper, like temper. But when, when he, when you got into his good graces and he trusted you, he would go to bat for you. And I'm telling you, he caught word of this and he was in that guy's office. I had a check within 24 hours. But why does it have to be that way? Why did it have to, if that guy had simply, so he got, he, after that, I never even had to like blink. That guy was so afraid to step out of line. Why does it have to be that way? Had he gone directly to the source to find out himself, she put in this work, holy cow, this is what's going on. This is why she's asking for help. This is the caseload. Because they have to pay in a lot more money, right, to be for, to fund overtime and all these different things. Like if he was smart about his leadership skills and about how he was in charge of the budget, he would have seen, is this cost effective for us to have this one person doing this program that we're trying to grow? We're not going to be able to grow it if there's only one of her. We've got to have people to help. we got to get her to be able to train the people. He was not thinking in that capacity. He was only thinking in terms of, we're not paying her. There's no way that the, like he refused. He refused to look. He refused to grow. He refused to go to the source. And it always ends up burning you in the end. The irony about that story is that if you had listened to one of the podcasts about, um, I was talking about failure and how I actually got fired um, from my first time working at a flight gig was because of a, a breakdown in safety that happened while I was doing both, working in the ER and as a flight nurse. Um, he, it was a long story, but I, I brought up a breach of safety that was going to impact, I felt it was going to somehow impact our organization. It, it was not received well. And a few months later, what happened was somebody broke into the newborn nursery and stole a baby out of there. He was actually um, involved in how that thing was um, dealt with. And it was, it was, he didn't handle it well. And he actually ended up getting fired. And what I'm saying is that you're always the lid. 
you're always the lid on the growth of your own organization. And it's those simple little factors like going directly to the source that are part of your character that when you're, when you're not in the right with your character, it always translates out into your professional sphere or the vibrancy of your interpersonal relationships. It always comes to bite you in the ass. And that's why when we coach and when we train, we speak on these podcasts or you know, if I'm dealing with you one-on-one or we're consulting your agency or we're running seminars or whatever, a lot of what we do is we're lifting the lid and allowing you to see those places the places that are in your blind spot, the places where you are honestly in ignorance. You've not been raised with the right either code of conduct or, or moral code or value system or you know the place where you've been has not been operating that way and, and you see it, right? And you're looking to improve yourself because it's the right thing to do or you know that's what your next level of growth and development is going to demand of you. It's that ability to to triage your position and then you know course correct because it's never too late to do so the immediate damage that happens is usually very temporary and short-lived but in the long run you're always going to reap rewards by putting in the work and making those necessary course corrections how's that okay so with that the moral of the story is always go directly to the source, okay? <laughs> it's been awesome having you on today's podcast. Thank you again for joining us. If you know anybody who would be, you know, in benefit of listening to this podcast, please invite them on. You can find us here on Anchor. You can find us up on Google Podcasts, Google Music, Apple iTunes, Spotify. You can ask Alexa to search for Transformation Gold Podcast and... Uh, We'll get you next time. Make it a great day. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.